0: Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south on this show. Eric Fawcett, who will join me in just a minute, and I are going to break down Florida's uh, two games that were played Friday and Monday, so booking in the weekend um, with contest against Kennesaw State and Florida Atlantic, two pairs of Owls. The Gators um, able to win. Their game against Kennesaw State, they did not uh, or were not as fortunate in their battle with Florida Atlantic um, coming up short Monday night and losing to uh, Florida Atlantic and FAU in a bye game. The game uh, actually cost Florida $90,000 were messaging me and asking if it was a bye game. It was. Um, and uh, Florida played paid 90000 bucks for um, that defeat. Uh, And by the way, that contract was signed pretty late. Florida signed that contract on February 4th. Um, So sort of late in the Mike White tenure. Remember, Mike was gone basically a month later uh, after Florida arranged to play FAU. And um, the Gators come up short against the Owls. We're going to get to that game. I'm going to briefly talk about the Kennesaw State game. And then uh, Eric Fawcett is going to join us. In the Kennesaw State game, I don't think there were necessarily warning signs as to, like, Florida being in trouble. I mean, keep in mind that the Gators took the lead in this game uh, pretty early here. And at that point, I mean, it was never, like, any real concern that Florida was not going to win. Um, I think Florida was, was definitely in control of the game for about half an hour, even though – The margin shifted from five points to 15 points to, you know, the final margin of 10. I'll tell you what, one guy that was super impressive in that game. um, And we'll get to to the Florida players in a minute, but Chris Youngblood, who who Eric Fawcett shouted out on the preview show, I thought he was just sensational and I've got Eric here. So I'm going to bring him in in just a second, but Chris Youngblood was, was really good. 20 points. Um, seems like he made every shot. He hit a couple really tough shots as well. Uh, Kennesaw State ran some nice stuff offensively. Um, took advantage of the way that the Gators guarded ball screens. I'm sure that that will be a topic that we address, uh, as we get into our discussion of the Florida Atlantic game as well. But I thought Kennesaw State super impressive on the offensive end. Uh, fortunately for Florida, they were, um, Pretty good on the offensive end as well. And they. I thought Florida did a nice job in that, the Kennesaw State game, um, unlike the Florida Atlantic game. Um, and, again, we will get to Florida Atlantic. But I just want to point out that I thought the Gators did a nice job in the Kennesaw State game of sort of taking what the defense allowed them to do. Um, you know, Florida only took 11 threes uh, against Kennesaw State. They were very, very content to pound the ball in the paint. Um, And then obviously just a sensational night from Colin Cassaton with the 33 points uh, and the nine rebounds and the three blocks and, and just kind of playing like an all American, Um, you know, Florida did not get a ton from their bench against Kennesaw state only 13 bench points. That became another thing that happened in the Florida Atlantic game. But I thought the Gators um, certainly would be pleased with the way their starters performed. Uh, in basically every possible way against Kennesaw state. Um, Just a really, really solid performance from their starting five with the exception of Kyle often, maybe who, who got himself into foul trouble and wasn't on uh, the floor enough. Some early ticky tack fouls became fouled out uh, and 22 minutes, the lowest he number he had played since his last game at Florida, (laughs) but also the lowest number he played since his sophomore year at St. Bonaventure. So Pretty fun stuff. Welcome, Eric. Um, good to have you, my man.
1: Oh, good to be here. I know I probably missed some uh, some good stuff there on the on the on the top about you talking about the game, but uh, from what I uh, from what I gathered, I, I'm definitely in agreement with you about uh, what happened uh, against Kennesaw State. Happy the Gators were able to hold on for um, what was uh, you know ultimately a kind of comfortable uh, win. But I think whenever you see a uh, a backcourt like that, uh, give the Gators. A lot of trouble defensively. Um, I think that uh, it makes you a little bit concerned for for what might be coming um, in SEC play. I think that that's kind of like where the the building blocks of, of most defenses um, or most teams defensive philosophies have to be in the SEC is kind of starting with really talented backcourts that are really good off the dribble. Uh, and then from there, I would say you go to like bruising, you know, physical five men. But those are the two things that the SEC, I think you've kind of got to like start your, your kind of defensive philosophy with how do we contain those kind of players. And uh, uh, yeah, I think the Gators have kind of seen that uh, they 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 have some work to do when it comes to to containing uh, some talented guards like that. But ultimately, they were able to get a win. And uh, something we kind of talked about after the opening game of the season is that we we liked how the starting group played and we kind of didn't want – the Gators to rush to maybe get a, an Alex Fudge in the starting lineup. I, I guess that would be probably the only name that would, would shake things up. And, uh, um, I kind of like that the Gators have, have, have kept that group together. And I would say it's kind of backed up with, with some pretty good performances from that starting group. Um, of course with, uh, maybe the, the downside of that being, uh, the bench not looking so great, but when it comes to like a glue guy, like CJ Felder, I don't know if pushing him to the bench would completely change how, how the bench looks entirely. So, uh, yeah, those are, those are all kind of my takeaways,
0: but it looks like the Gators do have a starting five, at least that they can uh, feel pretty good about. Yeah, they do. A couple more minor notes on the Kennesaw state game. I don't mean to gloss over like a dub, um, but I think most people listening to our show are going to be itching to talk about what happened Monday. So we will get to that. I I was a little surprised at CJ Felder. Now that you brought him up, like his minutes were a little lower than I thought they'd be like, he played 15 minutes. Um, and was really productive, had six rebounds, a block shot, um, scored a little bit. Like, you know, to me, if CJ is going to go seven points, get to the free throw line a bunch, grab six rebounds, get a couple steals on loose balls and block a shot, he should probably play more than 15 minutes. That'd be like my one minor gripe with Florida's rotations, especially because I didn't think they got too much out of Riley Kugel. Um, Friday night, and I certainly don't think they got anything out of Myron Jones in his 22 minutes on the floor. Uh, another 0 for 2 performance. He did hit the rim on both the threes on Friday. That was good. Um, but, you know, starting the year, heading into the FAU game, 0 for 4 from downtown, playing kind of heavy minutes, and I'm still not sure why. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a couple of those uh those lineup decisions that I knew you'd have you'd have opinions on. Um pretty interesting to to look at some of the the plus minuses. Um you know, Alex Fudge comes on the scene with an explosive first game. Um since then the the Gators have not performed very well when he's been on the court. So that's been a little bit of a problem kind of looking down at um at some of their other players. It just is uh it, it, it it's just interesting. I mean, we in in the offseason I think we were really high on the depth of, of the Gators and thought that we'd have a, a lot of really good pieces coming off the bench. And uh, even after game one, it's like, Oh, like here's Alex Fudge. He can be pretty impactful. Um, again, I think we kind of also pointed out that um, some of the shots he was making were, uh I don't want to say uncharacteristic to him, but some of them were, were tough looks that he was able to overwhelm a lot smaller players. Um, kind of thought it would be the sec play by that point or high major opponents at the pk 85, where it'd be like, okay, maybe some of these shots are, not the best for the team. And it's like, oh, no, it looks like uh, you go against Kennesaw State and Florida Atlantic, and 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 some of those are, are not great looks. So I, I think there's some guys still still learning to play a little bit. And, and again, I've kind of singled out Alex Fudge. Not that that's the player I think is is solely responsible, but just, like, again, as an example, and a lot of people really high on him, had the first really good game. It's just, like, we're going to have to just constantly stress to people. It's like, again, this was a player who could not get on the floor for LSU in conference play um so he's still you know clearly got 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 some things to learn um trey bonham uh he's someone who we're really high on and and still think he's going to be uh successful um but man looking at uh, the the way some of his shots have have missed and and not been particularly close the way he hasn't been able to create a whole lot of space um again someone who's had to or will have to adjust his game to it's kind of fun it's kind of funny i keep wanting to say like adjust to the high major game well it's like well the gators just lost to a mid-major so as much as again we should also probably point out that I, what did florida atlanta come in at like 85th in ken palm so that's kind of equivalent to like what the ninth or tenth best sec team will probably be this year so like again this is no slouch and throughout this you know florida atlanta conversation we'll make sure to give give the owls their flowers this is a good basketball team but uh yeah it's uh it's it's some um, uh some concerning some some concerning bench pieces for sure. and then of course you can add in that uh you know Niles Lane is still behind a lot of these pieces that have not really uh performed pretty well and that's someone who you and me kind of like thought should have started um, for much of the offseason. Yeah, and I'm gonna to get to
0: Niles when we talk uh FAU. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on on that as you might expect uh yeah, I mean Alex fudge four turnovers of Florida's 11 turnovers. Um, you know, it's never good when you have about 40% of your team's turnovers, uh, in your 23 minutes on the floor. So I think he's definitely still like learning who he is as a collegiate player. It doesn't mean that, I mean, Eric and I both think he's an NBA prospect and a guy that could very well play in the NBA for several years. I mean, he's, he's got that kind of ability. Um, but you know, as Eric pointed out uh, wisely, you know, when you're playing three minutes a game in sec play, there's usually a reason for that. And as much fun as we made of Will Wade, I'm sure there was a strong-ass reason for um, Alex Fudge not being on the floor that often for Louisiana State last year when it became crunch time. So interesting um, there. And, you know, again, it gets kind of back to Felder, like as Florida's second-leading rebounder in that game in 15 minutes, you know, and Todd Golden places a big emphasis on rebounding. Florida was great on the glass against Stony Brook only out rebounded Kennesaw state by two. Um, so Kennesaw state super competitive on the glass and and scored 12 second chance points. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes a game. You should win by 20, a 10 point victory. So just kind of putting a bow on, on the Kennesaw state thoughts.
1: Yeah. I don't think I have anything more, uh, more to add. I think we uh, can maybe get to, uh, uh, the main event, if we have to call it that, um, the, uh, the Florida Atlantic game that, uh, did not go so well for, for, for these Gators. I mean, I I'd say kind of my opening thought and I'll feel free to disagree with me. Um, you'd like, but I I think that a lot of people kind of talked about the fact that the Gators, like, you know, the Gators got bombed on and they, they like Florida Atlantic hit a lot of threes. And then I think there's a lot of conversation about the Gators, you know, leaving a lot of points at the rim, getting to the rim and, and, and missing easy shots. Yes but oh man, I don't think the points that the Gators left at the rim were half as much as the points that Florida Atlantic left at the rim. So if we're going to start talking, you know, shot quality and, and who left points at the rim, yeah, the Gators left some. I think that the, the Owls left a whole lot more. And there was there was definitely a time where, you know, the lead got up to, to seven or eight or, or whatever it was for Florida Atlantic. And I, I, you know, I think I texted Jake Winderman and I was like, this game could have been 16, 17 right now for Florida Atlantic. Like they were missing some, some serious bunnies themselves. So I, I I personally don't think this one is, is just kind of like, oh, like Florida Atlantic made threes and, and the, the Gators didn't. And or Florida Atlantic made threes and, and uh, you know, the Gators left, left points at the, at, at the rim. It's like, well, Florida Atlantic left, you know, even more points at the rim and were able to hit shots. So I just like, I think this was just a legitimate win for for Dusty May and the Owls. I think they came here and outplayed the Gators. I do think they outcoached the Gators and uh, just a, a a quality win and an unfortunate for the Owls and an unfortunate loss for the Gators.
0: Yeah, I got it. I'm glad that you, you went there because I couldn't agree more about bunnies at the rim. Like, you know, I definitely saw a lot of, of chatter on the timeline about that. And I thought, man, like, There were a lot of times where, I mean, Colin Castleton did a nice job of defending without fouling on several of the plays that you're referencing. Um, you know, I really think, you know, Colin was in good position, went for blocks, didn't foul anybody, but a lot of those shots could have gone in pretty easily. Um, and how many of them just kind of rimmed out and and Florida was able to get the rebound because dusty was emphasizing getting back in transition. We will talk transition defense. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, shortly, but, um, Yeah. Couldn't agree more about that. So that, that would be my first thing is agree with what Eric said. Second thing is FAU played great. Um, They just played a really good game. Um, You know, they made more three pointers than they had turnovers. Uh, That's usually a pretty good formula for victory in college basketball or any basketball. Um, So that, that was kind of point two, they played terrific. And then I, I, yeah, I mean, I think they definitely out coached Florida. They out adjusted Florida. Um, so, you know, I, I would agree with all those things and Dusty seemed to pull the right strings from a rotation standpoint. Whereas, um, I'm not sure that, that Todd did until it maybe was too late. Uh, and, and that's a learning experience for a 36 year old head coach, um, and a 37 year old head coach. And I think that's, you know, that's going to happen. That Florida fans are going to have to, to deal with the occasional growing pain, um, but they're smart enough, this staff, and reflexive, and and obviously they'll take this to heart. I don't think, and that would be my last point, Eric. Is I can't imagine this ever getting to a quad three type defeat. I mean, I think that this is a a Florida Atlanta team that's going to stick around in the top ninety of Ken Palm pretty much all year and contend to win Conference USA. So they're good, um, and Florida lost.
1: Yeah, I, I think the one fear with uh, with a the- you know, any mid major team is, is again, as much as they had a pretty good rotation, I I feel like they're always like one injury away from, from the wheels really falling off. But one thing that's, that's actually kind of nice about um, Florida Atlantic schedule moving forward is, um, and, and I'll also say like credit to their administration who didn't say, Hey, Dusty, go get bought five, five times. And like, well, they're gonna beat the Gators. Maybe they would win five bye games. Maybe I shouldn't. My my points got kind of fall apart. I was gonna say, don't you know, go get kicked around and 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 you know lose a bunch of bye games. But hey, they win bye games, so respect to Florida Atlantic. But that, but they only are really playing Florida and and Ole Miss as their. Um, as their two kind of buy games. So after that, they've got a couple horizon um, teams. They, they play like Eastern Michigan. They play South Alabama. They play Albany. Like, so th- they're probably going to like, I don't want to say coast through non-conference play, but they're going to be favored to win every game that remains in their non-conference. And then there's some like sneaky, good resume opportunities in conference USA. Like UAB is a team that's going to be in the mix for an at large North Texas is like, could be on the, f- fringes of you know maybe not quite as that large but like it's going to be frisky but they're going to offer like you know quality games western kentucky too like that could be a that, that'll that offer opportunities so like i think that the, they'll have enough opportunities without needing to get kicked around by by, by really high level teams that i, I think it's going to end up being a really good net game for the gators um like you said and uh, man i, I just got to say like i just so impressed with dusty may like I, i've always liked how his teams have played they're always you know very very good offensively yes he was the guy behind florida's offense when um florida was okay offensively before before he left um i think dusty may uh maybe uh showed that the the the, the real blob god really stood up he scored three times on the same baseline out of bounds play which was <laughs> kind of tough from a uh um kind of tough, t- tough to watch, but at the same time, it's like, well, good, good coaching. They were, they ran this, they, they scored on it three times, two threes and and one, you know, layup because they, they slipped the action. Would have loved to see the Gators guard that a little bit better. Um, but uh, I just feel like when it was, you know, rotation decisions, whether it was the way that they attacked Florida's pick and roll defense, winning the special situations battle, I thought Dusty May was incredible. And I loved at the end of the game where they got the technical foul and like he didn't yell. He didn't, you know, scream. He didn't MF a guy or ask him what he was doing. He just laughed. Like he smiled. He looked at the guy who accidentally called the timeout they didn't have. And he smiled and laughed and just said like, Hey, like we're, we're going to win this game still like whatever. So I just, I thought, I thought coach may, um, did very well for himself from, uh, coaching X and no standpoint to even just the intangibles of like, here's a guy who could have absolutely lost it at one of his, one of his players. And instead he, he chose to kind of see the humor of the situation. So uh, give me, well, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep up with what he's doing this year, but, but definitely credit to him for just an awesome game.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely did get the chance to reach out to him and, and congratulate him and just you know tell him that that was a super impressive uh, performance by his team. And as always, Dusty was super gracious and, and appreciative and responded quickly. And so, you know, I am happy for him. Uh, I think Florida will learn a lot from, from this defeat. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Florida responds in a couple ways. And we'll start with, you know, Eric made his point about, you know, his kind of like, let me speak to some of the, or let me rebut the take about easy shots at the rim. So let me do one. And, and this is sort of rooted in a Colin Castleton comment that he said he thought Florida's half court defense was pretty good. Um, and that it was their transition defense that really let them down. And, you know, I saw that on the timeline a lot almost after Castleton said it and it got tweeted out and people kind of agreed with it. And like, yeah, I didn't think Florida's transition defense was good at all. Don't get me wrong. It, it was, it needs to be better than it was uh Monday night, Eric, but you know, Florida's half court defense wasn't good enough. I mean, they, you know, just got absolutely torched uh, going under screens. And, and I think Myron Jones you know, did it on basically two successive possessions where he went under screens um, and they buried threes. Again, sort of getting into the picking on Myron thing, but I'm just not sure what he's offering right now that that has him on the floor. Um, you know, it, it was only nine minutes, but they were honestly a costly nine minutes with, with the two triples that were... Because he, he went the wrong on screens. I also thought... Um, that, you know, it was just way too easy in the half court for Florida Atlantic to get into the paint. And that forced Colin Castleton to make a lot of difficult decisions as the lone rim protector and led to some of the easier looks at the basket that Eric's talking about.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh that's probably what's most concerning is just to see that um like there was definitely some 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 good actions from from Florida Atlantic to get their guys kind of catching on stampedes going downhill and and kind of living in the paint. But there's also some times where it's like, like man, like man, Kyle Lofton was brought in here to be a a kind of top level defender. He had a tough one against Kennesaw State, and he had a tough one against Florida Atlantic defensively. Those are a a, a true mid major and uh, and a good mid major, but uh, you know we're not into the we're not into the meat and the potatoes yet. And Kyle Lofton, while a very intelligent player and a very intelligent help defender, just a- athletically just seems like a lot of these guards are a lot quicker and a lot and just kind of burning them with first steps in a way that um, when you play in the Southeastern conference for the sport of basketball is, is, is very concerning. And, and I think that, that again, like Riley Kugel is not that you give him a pass because he's a freshman, but he's one of those guys that like, he's got, he's very explosive, but he's still, you know, got to learn to kind of channel that athleticism to um, to be able to be a good perimeter defender. Um, I will say I was, I was quite impressed with Will Richard. Um, I have been really impressed with him on, um, on the defensive side of the basketball. I thought he was really good outside of that. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some holes on the perimeter defense and for us to be talking about guys that are, that are struggling to keep their feet in front of players, um, you know, game three of the season when, when the Gators get to play a high major team, I think that's one of those concerning things that is as much as you never want to read into one loss in November. it's uh, when it, when it's something, when it's something like that, it's, uh, it's uh, I'll I'll have to say I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's concerning if they're not going to use solutions that they have um, off the bench as well, which I guess gets us to kind of lane. And, and here's what I'll say about Niles, because I know a lot of people are going to point to that late turnover. And and that was a tough one, right? Um, He, he did a nice job. I thought of attacking the closeout. He had done a nice job, earlier in the game when he came in of kind of attacking the closeout, pinning down uh, with the ball, pinning down defenders and kicking out for a wide open three. Um, That's the kind of stuff he could do because he can actually attack closeouts on the offensive end, Eric. But yeah, I mean, obviously a tough turnover for him at a crucial moment and Florida has a dunk. If he makes that pass, Um, you know, that's, that's brutal. Uh, And I felt bad for him. I also think, he had also that one wild drive where he kind of threw a layup up off the backboard. And, you know, I don't think that anyone in the building wanted him to shoot the ball there and including probably Niles. Um, so, you know, some, some like eye opening moments that get caught on tape, but you know, it gets back to a discussion we had with Mike White and Niles Lane, like early when Mike finally turned things over and let Niles play a little bit, you know, He's pressing, I think, because he wants to impress the coaches um, because he's not playing. And I think the reality is analytics said he was a top 20 defender in the sport last year. And with Florida's perimeter problems, it's a bit curious why he's not playing more minutes. Um, I don't know if that's to accommodate, you know, things that were promises that might have been made to, other players. I don't know if it's to, out of respect or deference to Myron Jones and his leadership um, or or what it's about, but Florida is a better defensive basketball team when he's on the floor. I mean, even briefly when he came in at the end of the first half and Florida kind of closed on that mini run, um, you know, that was with Lane chasing Forrest around. So, you know, I think he has value to this team and I'm going to continue to kind of advocate that, that he play Uh, A bit more, especially if Florida's going to struggle to guard uh, on the outside.
1: Well, and I mean, interestingly enough, he got into the game when they needed a bucket. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was in there real late when they were down. Like, I I thought that they, you know, they needed him when when Florida Atlantic was was stretching, you know, the 40 to 35 lead to, to 45 to 35 because the Gators couldn't get a stop on the perimeter. When it was at the end of the game, like, no, Niles Lane's strength is not as right. much as we, as much as we like him, you know, attacking and, and being decisive um, I probably would have liked other options there if they, you know, needed to, to put up some quick points. Me so too. I, I thought that that, that usage was, was pretty, pretty interesting. It wouldn't have been kind of my, my feel. And then, so it's, it's puts us in a position where like, yeah, we wanted to see him. And it's like, <laughs> I think we all going into the season, we said, Oh, we want him in there in big moments. But when a guy's going to come into the game, ice cold, and do things that that aren't his strengths it's uh yeah i wouldn't say it was the the best position for for him to succeed but at the same time man it's it's a rough one like gets bailed out by a you know ball or i forget but like you know throws the ball out of bounds forces a long review but on a bad one like you said took a wild attempt like i think it's tough for him where like he's probably seeing ghosts of the last two years where like he's got a two minute stretch to try to earn him a shift it it, kind of coming into the next going into the next game like i i definitely think it's tough for him but uh that made the situation a little tougher for for us guys who kind of advocate for him to get more minutes when he comes in the game and and unfortunately does does not play well in in big mall as much as the deck was stacked against him Uh, you know i i think you (laughs) maybe i think you might have alluded to some of the ideas that you might have about this question neil but i'm gonna ask you a tough one i mean this is the second coaching staff that's looked at Niles Lane, had him in practice for extended periods of time and said, eh, well, we like Myron Jones better, or, you know, we like insert wings that were probably below average sec player. Like now that we're on the second coaching staff, that's presumably had a lot of time with him in the gym and thought that, I mean, what, 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 what do you, what do you think? Like, what do you think that says? And, and, and when do, do you, as the the resident, uh, (laughs) lane defender like when when do you have to kind of reevaluate because i I, i've got to say as much as i'm also a lane defender it's uh to have two staffs look at him and say like eh brandon mckissick eh, brandon you know myron jones better um it's it's you know they they are in practice every day i i suppose
0: yeah i mean that's kind of the thing i mean as well as he played defensively last year you know the sample size is small um because the staff sat him on the bench For a long time um and you know certainly he seems like somebody that works really hard but you know does he not practice that well uh pretty consistently is that consistently an issue for him um because at some point you know these staffs are like they're eric and i aren't in the gym every day i mean so you've got two consecutive staffs now that have kind of looked at Niles land and practice and thought, man, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what to do here. And I think that that becomes a problem and, and maybe Myron Jones, you know, is just like practice God too. Like that's also possible. You know, I know that Myron is a leader. I know he's smart. Um, all you have to do is listen to one episode of his podcast and, You'll hear how bright he is, uh, you know, and, and he's kind of a soft-spoken guy, but he leads by example. His work ethic and practice has been lauded by two staffs in a row, for example. So, you know, maybe that's why he's getting 22 minutes. I, I know when I watch basketball that Lane is probably as good a defender out that they're going to have on the perimeter. Um, you know, and I know his teammates have said that when they, when he guards them in scrimmages like Kowalsy Reeves, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a totally fair question, Eric. And, um, you know, we're three games in and he's a DMP in one of them, there has to be a reason for it. And it's probably not that they just don't like the cut of his jib.
1: Yeah, no, I am curious about it for sure. And, and I, again, like, uh, like you kind of alluded to early in the season, keep your veterans happy could be a possible possible reason why they, they give Myron Jones opportunities despite, yeah, back or you're a five-star right freshman. Or you're a five-star freshman, but it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, well, now you lost to Florida Atlantic, so, uh, you know, you, you probably, I shouldn't say probably, there's a chance that you look at a couple of mid-major games to start the season you say, like, okay, perfect example, let's get Myron Jones going. We know he had a tough last year and he, he practices really hard. The guys respect him. Let's make sure we get him a, some good burn against these teams. Let's see if we get his confidence back, reward his hard work. And then, you know, when Florida State comes around, then we'll start, like, you know, we, we should know we have a rotation, but now it's a situation where it's like, no, now you lost to Florida Atlantic. There's not a lot of rope. Like, you've got to start. Not that I don't think the staff was playing. Like, actually, I do think the staff has been playing guys that they they think are 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 going to help them win. I don't think that they've been playing like trying to keep Riley Kugel happy, trying to keep Myers yeah. happy. I I actually like while it could be the case, I think they they played the guys that best helped them. Thought that like we give them the best opportunity to win. And it's like, okay, well Agreed. now you lost, He lost to Florida Atlantic in a game that I honestly think they probably should have lost by seven or eight. Like it wasn't. Yeah. So maybe if there is a time to, to, to shake something up, like, you know, that's just the easiest opportunity. Um, unless you have anything more on, on Niles lane, I'm, I'm interested if, uh, like Trey Bonham, uh, doesn't get in, uh, much. Is that a guy you were like hankering for more, for more minutes for, or, uh, is uh, Trey Bonham, who hasn't had a great start to the year, is that someone that you're, uh, you were kind of cool getting in for whatever it was, 90 seconds, two minutes only against Florida Atlantic?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. He played six minutes against FAU and Kennesaw State combined. Um, You know, and he's kind of a guy that we thought would be a real nice change of pace. and And, you know, maybe he could have played a bit against FAU just because, he had the speed to kind of chase their guards around. And there was clearly an athleticism deficit with, with Kyle on the defensive end. Now that said, and it also, maybe it helps offensively, Eric. I mean, I thought Kyle often was really good on offense Monday night. I mean, you saw the way he can run an offense, right? I mean, um, seven assists, what the one turnover, maybe one turnover. Um, if he had one um, 14 points kind of, took his shots, didn't force anything. I thought, um, when he was playing the two man game with Colin Castleton kind of electric in that role. Uh, but you already alluded to like, wow, what a tough one for him defensively. And, and, you know, I don't know, VMI didn't defend a ton, but I know that Trey Bonham is fast and strong. Right. Which is kind of like what Michael Forrest is. (laughs) So, you know, maybe that's just something you can do to, to have somebody chasing him around. Um, because it didn't matter when like somebody like lane who's much quicker was able to chase him for a little bit
1: yeah i, I don't totally know where i or i stand on on that one like i think it is tougher bottom who like his best attribute is playing out of the pick and roll but it's like he's going to come on the floor and so far and be in kind of a complimentary role where i don't know if the gators really right. want the ball in his hands and it's just like his his skill set the the reason that you you know kind of brought him in was to be a pick and roll ball handler. Um, at least if you're looking at like what made him successful at VMI. So, and again, maybe that's like, they don't think he can be that guy right away, but he can be down, down the line. And that's always like always uh, an adjustment for players who like, like we saw that with Trey Mann, whose best skill was having the ball in his hands, but he comes to Florida. He's not quite ready for that. Well, that means he's, his set is not really geared towards being complimentary player. So didn't really have a role as a freshman that could be kind of the case um obviously different uh different pedigree players but um I also thought it was tough that the f- the first game was against a team that played 40 minutes of zone also not a great opportunity for Bonham to kind of show um show what he's like but uh yeah it's uh he's someone who's better shooting off the bounce than than off the dribble um I kind of remember talking in the the offseason about how I thought that his three-point percentage might be better because he'll get to take more off the catch and uh settle into some easier looks. Well, it's, you know, his catch and shoot threes have, have not looked great so far. So I think he probably will have to go through some adjustments there and, and become a better catch and shoot player and be a little bit more complimentary. But I, I do think he's a player that, like, like, like I thought Kyle Lofton was was playing very well in the pick and roll, had a couple of really nice short roll passes to, to Colin Castleton. He's done that already in the last two games. And I think that they should have brought Bonham in and done done the same thing. He's not the same kind of passer that, that Lofton is. But um, it's like, let's, let's keep this, let's keep the screen and roll kind of going. Cause that's, that's the way to use Lofton. So, um, but at the same time, if they, you know, didn't want to go to that, then it's like, well, it makes sense that you don't put Lofton on the floor then. But uh, definitely a tough, tough start for, for his season. I don't know if I have any opinion. Like I didn't think he was a great defender at, at BMI. Just, you know, being small is uh, it's, it makes playing defense hard sometimes, especially as a, as a help defender. I don't really have any opinions of how he's played defensively. Um, so far it hasn't played played enough. Yeah. Like unless I've missed something. So I I, I'm interested there, but, uh, yeah, just kind of one of those situations where of course it's easy to look at a game where the Gators didn't have very good play from all their perimeter options and just (laughs) to be like, well, you know, maybe they should have tried the other perimeter options, which is, you know, maybe fair to say, um, maybe not, but was just interested in your take after he's, um, I won't say in the doghouse, too early to say that, but someone that, of course, couldn't be trusted in a game that, uh, or apparently could not be trusted um, in a game that was really close.
0: Yeah, I wanted to get into offense with Mr. Offense, Eric Fawcett, a little bit and kind of talk about um, some of of what Florida did offensively. Obviously, you get another monster game from Colin Castleton. Um, I was on Atlanta Radio, Kentucky Sports Radio, talking – Gators before the season and one of the things that I said, which I've said on this podcast, which I, you know, I got the Eric Fawcett seal of approval on was that I still wasn't sure what the upside of this Florida team shooting was. Um, They did not shoot the ball particularly well against Florida Atlantic at all. Um, They did make six of their 10 catch and shoot threes. Uh, And they made a a few threes at the end of the game. I should say Kowasi Reeves made some threes at the end of the game. And Will Richard hit one. Um, That was huge. That kind of made their shooting percentage look a lot better, Eric, than it really was over like the first 39 minutes of the basketball game. Um, And then I also thought Florida was really flat in terms of how they cut and attack switches, uh, which is to say. They didn't really seem to do much attacking against switches, Um, and so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that first, especially because after our first podcast. We couldn't really talk too much about Florida's offense because Stony Brook played zone for forty minutes. Yeah,
1: um, the offense is pretty vanilla right now, and I don't say that as some like slanderous, um, like, hey, it's it's early in the season, and the Gators are um, really focused on getting the ball to Colin Castleton, who has been incredible. So I have no problems with uh, uh, with the way they've used Colin Castleton, but um, kind of the rest of their the rest of their offense, um, kind of playing playing some of the five out, coming to a dribble handoff. Um, or a pin down into dribble handoff, you know, you like to see some of that go into some empty side ball screen. It's all right. But um, yeah, just nothing that I felt was, was super exotic or anything that was, was too difficult for, for Florida Atlantic to guard. And again, when it comes to an offense, that's somewhat kind of vanilla, I just like, again, and Kyle Lofton has been good. I still don't think he's like the electric player that create a shot. And I think we actually saw that at the end of that game where he had an opportunity to, when the, when the Gators really needed a bucket and he, you know, dribble, 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 didn't create space, didn't create space, didn't create space, forces up a shot, throws his hands up trying to draw a foul. And it was just one of those situations that I think we saw what we were concerned about that. He's just not someone who is a very good one-on-one creator and kind of looking up and down Florida's roster you don't see a lot of those individual creators. So if you're going to play a somewhat um, uh, like a a simpler offense, that's kind of going to be the one issue is I just don't think the Gators have the guards who can take advantage of simple offenses and, and create out of it. So um, love how they were able to, to get some kind of high post isolations, clearing things out for Castleton who could attack to his right hand. That's the best thing about Florida's offense for sure. Creating these right-hand driving lanes for, for Colin Castleton, who's obviously been incredible um but beyond that it's um it's 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 some of the some of the basic five out stuff that i think it's the, the the building blocks of what could be a really good offense moving forward um but uh you know once again maybe maybe they thought they could get away with not having anything too exotic in place and in uh for the first 3 games against mid-major opponents but uh they became a little bit easy to guard and uh that's uh mixed mixed in with being a little bit easy to guard with um not having guys that are great individual creators on the perimeter um and that's how you you end up you know being on the wrong side of close games
0: yeah i was wondering what your thought was on um because we're going to get to kind of what happened i guess the narrative story of the game as opposed to the deep dive analysis in a second and the narrative story i think is where the best spot to talk about transit so we're going to get to that um But we saw what Kowasey Reeves can do. And I'm sorry if anybody can hear me sniffling occasionally. I've got a little bit of a cold tonight. Um, Kowasey Reeves, you know, hitting those shots and kind of willing Florida back into the game. Like I love what Colin Castleton's doing and goodness. I mean, if he keeps this up, he'll be an all American, but uh they kind of it just seems like Kowasi Reeves is the Batman to him or the Robin to his Batman. And, uh, it might be time to let Kowasi get some more shots up, Eric. Well, um,
1: again, I understand that he's someone who still hasn't quite shown that he's also the guy that like, like at the end of that game, would I have loved to see like a wing isolation for Kowasi Reeves? Like, you know, maybe not. So still it's like, he's, he, maybe he grows into that kind of player right now. Probably not. But uh, to see him whenever he, I guess for me, and this goes back to last season, every time I see him at full sprint, you know, curling around the perimeter, catching and rising up and drilling a three, it always leaves me thinking, why do the Gators not do this more? Um, especially for a right. team that I feel like needs to have some manufactured offense creating a catch and shoot opportunity for Kwasi Reeves coming off the screen would be something I'd love to see. And I do think that that at San Francisco, they they had a kind of number of plays that they used to free up shooters. So again, I think that that's, that's coming for sure. Um, but uh, that's the kind of um, more exotic offense I, I I maybe would have hoped for on, a, on, a, on a night where I thought that um, things were a little bit vanilla and it was working for, for Colin Castleton and working a little bit for, for Kyle Lofton who had some great moments um, but, uh, outside of that, you know, wasn't,
0: wasn't loving a whole bunch. Um, good stuff. Now, Florida does explode. You know, they, they're down either five or seven in the first half. They closed to get the tie on the Alex Fudge hustle play, um, at halftime. And then the Gators came out with their hair on fire out of the break. Um, you know, I don't know if, if Todd doesn't strike me as a tear the paint off the walls kind of a guy, but uh, Florida certainly was playing with purpose, which is what coach Golden wants them to do Uh, out of the break. The Gators go on a 16 to six run. And you know what? One like weird key moment in this game, I thought was like when, and unfortunately it was Will Richard who I thought was, was really good by the way, but like late in the first half when Florida was starting to chip away at FAU and it looked like the Gators kind of, talent was winning out for lack of a better uh phrase they they got a huge dunk um from alex fudge and then you know they go under a screen and lose Forrest, and he hits a or they lose john l davis and he hits a three um and that's when lane came in in the first half by the way was right after that happened um so it tells me that maybe they aren't supposed to go under the screen (laughs) shockable shocks all the time um because they just lost a shooter there and Anyway, so this huge momentum-shifting dunk that had the building kind of rocking late in the first half is silenced immediately. And it just seemed like FAU always had these answers. And a big reason they consistently had these answers was Florida would get lost in their transition defense. Um, That one came in the half court, I understand. But my point being that quite a few times, you know, Florida would either – um make a basket and was slow getting back, or you know, when Florida did turn the ball over, um, they just got beat down the floor by by the likes of uh the big man, Mr. Golden, and some other owls. Yeah, there was there's was definitely some times too it like honestly, and,
1: and and again, this could not be true, but there's honestly some times where um shots went up, and like I, I think that some Gators just like thought that Colin Castle was going to get the offensive rebound. Um, just again, the, the way that the Gators space, the floor um, kind of very modern spacing, have both of those corners filled the, o- well, I shouldn't say the only problem. What, one of the issues with that is like, yeah, shot goes up. You've got two guys in the deep corners. It's like, okay, they've got a lot of ground to cover to get back in transition defense. There's just a couple of times that shots went up and those two guys at the corner weren't offensive rebounding or, weren't getting back in transition defense. So it was just a little bit of no man's land. And like, honestly, part of it was like when Colin Castle is getting so many offensive rebounds, you hang out in that corner when a shot goes up and Colin Castle gets an offensive rebound, you get an easy kick out three, but then it was just like, Oh, and then suddenly Florida Atlantic's going up the floor and they're, you know, being in the deepest corners couldn't be further away from proper transition defense. So uh, there were some, some times that that happened and just losing guys, guys rim running. And, and, and again, I feel like that's one of those, Things I'm sure you've seen too, Neil, as a a high school basketball coach, like transition defense is one of those things that like as much as you drill in practice, it's like, oh, man, you just need those those kind of kind of game reps. Like I would be pretty shocked if transition defense becomes a major issue that we see the whole season I I I can't see that being the case I I, but it does maybe show a little bit of lack of preparation and a lack of focus from players which um you know as much as I said oh I think Florida Atlantic should have won this game by seven or eight um well Florida plays better transition defense that that erases some some easy points off that spread um pretty pretty quickly so uh yeah just one of those things that certainly didn't have to be a big problem but uh but the
0: Gators made it that way yeah, and to your point, you know, as a high school basketball coach, there aren't a ton of, you know, if you're a high-level team, and and I've been involved in that, um, you're not that concerned about it because your talent is usually better. Like, Riley Cougar got just absolutely smoked a couple times in transition Monday night. And I guarantee you that outside of maybe a couple possessions on an AAU team, Riley Kugel hasn't ever had to worry about that before. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, like some Johnny three-star from FAU is actually pretty darn good. And, you know, he gets behind him and it's a layup. And, and 14 of FAU's 30 points, Eric in their 30 to six kind of decisive run where Florida had a, a Mike white S five minute scoring drought as well. Um, <laughs> cause they only happened to Mike white, um, <laughs> uh, 14 of those 30 points were in transition. I mean, so there's your, you know, once again, Mr. Fawcett is correct. Like if, uh, if Florida cuts that to maybe eight, you know, it's it's maybe a dub for the Gators
1: that's pretty big and we know the SEC plays really fast so if we're looking for okay what what lessons can the Gators learn from this one like you, you know the transition defense is going to be in and, and again I just feel like that's maybe one of those things like you can't be great at everything it's kind of generally in, in basketball you can't be great at everything there's only so much practice I mean especially first couple of weeks of the season there's only so much you can cover cover in the offseason and like if transition defense kind of slipped through the cracks, well, that's uh, you know I, I I'm not going to kill anyone for it, and again I, I would be surprised if it's if it's an issue moving forward. Um, I think it's one of those things like transition defense film is 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 pretty big for that, and this is probably the wake up call they needed. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue moving forward. Um, wish you could have learned that lesson without taking a loss, but um, you know hopefully lesson learned um, even with that.
0: Yeah, it's actually one of the strengths of, of Sean Miller team how they play in transition. So, who knows? Experience that reaps some benefits resume wise when when they take on Xavier in a week. I mean, I'm I'm with Eric. I don't, I wouldn't say it's it's long term an issue um, just yet uh, for for the Gators. The Gators are headed to the Tuck, uh, where. You know, it was only a couple podcasts ago that I was waxing about how invincible the Seminoles are at the Tucker Center, uh, having lost just one non-conference game there in four years while well, they have managed to lose three there in two weeks. Uh, the Seminoles really in the struggle bus right now. Their glue guy is out for the year. Their five star freshman is out for the year. And they are winless as they welcome their arch rivals to Tallahassee in the Sunshine State Showdown Friday
1: night. Man, it's crazy. Like, I've often joked slash been serious, and I will continue to joke and be serious, that Leonard Hamilton is, is immortal. And I wonder if he's, you know, got some way of, like, sucking the life force from his players to, to keep up his uh, immortal nature because <laughs> their, their, <laughs> their injury luck is, 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 is terrible um, and also, you know, NCAA luck. So um, the quick rundown, if I can remember is so like baba miller the like future nba player um he's suspended with the ncaa because he accepted money from a camp to come go to that camp in the states he's from spain um when he was like 16 years old of course no family in spain understands ncaa amateurism rules so they didn't know it was against the rules learned it was against the rules and then said okay well we'll give the money back ncaa said no not good enough um you know 15 game suspension <laughs> so, so so 16 he's, um, games he- Four times longer than Bill Self. Of course. And then uh, Naheem McLeod, other big man, he just got out with an ankle injury. Um, Jalen Ganey is an ACL injury. Deontay Green, I think his name, he had an ACL injury at the end of his high school year and is still out. Um, Bembry has a back injury. And then they have one more injury. Um, To Chandler Jackson, I think it's his hand. So those are all players that are unable to play. And I I don't think any of them are going to be good for the end of the week like I I know like I think all of them were like either out for months or like week to week so this is probably what Florida State is kind of looking like and uh so they're down to seven scholarship players but like functionally they're down to six um that's how many like really played against Troy um they had one player come in for for five minutes but like essentially they're not they're down to six players um their only big man is is a freshman named Cameron Corin which is he's a good player don't get me wrong but he's like a freshman who is now tasked with playing 38 minutes a game. And from a Florida standpoint, it's like, okay, you don't fa- like don't play con Castle but don't foul out because we don't have a backup big. And then they also pretty much all their point guards are out. So they've got a bunch of really good, you know, Leonard Hamilton esque, six foot five to six foot seven wings. They've got one big man and that's it. So, like okay, let, let's be real. Like having having Caleb Mills and and Matthew Cleveland. Like those are and Cameron Fletcher. Like even if you're playing six, like you've got to not lose by you know several possessions. Detroit. Like that that still is pretty crazy to me. But at the same time, man, that injury luck is horrible. Like I had to I I unfortunately I had to rain on some people's parades at, at at the Gator Country forums because they were all like. FSU sucks, they're the worst. This is hilarious. And I they had no idea about you know, they didn't actually watch the games. They just know that Florida State lost and they were having fun with it. And I was like, well, you know, just so you know, they're down to like half their roster. And uh, you know, that's there's some context, and they were like, oh, whatever, fair enough. But uh man, what a injury-depleted team. And like certainly this isn't a must-win for the Gators because it's November, but oh man, um for a team that's that has losses to, to Troy kind of significantly lost to UCF and lost to Stetson by nine. Um, man, this is, this is when the Gators need in a rivalry. There's no doubt.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a must win game, honestly, because I think it, I think it's a, the way that FSU is so beat up. Now they are going to get some of these guys back. You know, Darren Green has battled through his injury. Um, but the rest of their, the guys that that Eric mentioned are all out. Uh, for Friday. Um, no chance of any of them playing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I just can't, I can't see a universe where they survived this 16 game suspension to Baba Miller. And even if he does come back and they vastly improve, um, you know, I don't think they're going to be, they're clearly going to have very difficult time making the NCAA tournament, given these these early losses that they're taking. And so you don't want to have a situation where you're, game against your arch rival, which is usually a quad one win opportunity, becomes like a quad three loss. Uh, and I don't think – I just don't think Florida can can afford to lose. Um, plus the fan base, if Todd Golden would lose – and this matters way less because nothing's going to happen to Todd this year, but like the, the goodwill honeymoon would end if he were – go up to Tallahassee and lose to a winless Florida State team. Um, I mean, we would see just absolute riots – um on Twitter Friday night. Uh their best player right now is either the Houston transfer, Caleb Mills, who you know I think is looking a little bit more like the guy that was nearly an all-American at Houston, uh and not the shell of himself that he was last year, uh, as he kind of recovered, tried to recover too quickly from an off-season ankle surgery. Uh, he's pretty darn good. And then a guy I really like and that I think Eric likes, too, is, is Jalen Warley, uh, who's kind of a um, a classic, as Eric put it, just a classic Florida State wing. 6'6", 215, fast, physical, loves to attack the rim. Um, should be interesting to see him and, like, Will Richard go toe-to-toe because this will be, like, the first real elite athlete that, that Wills had to deal with. And Wills looked really good in the first three games. So let's see. You know what happens when when he battles with like a high four star future NBA talent in, in Warley. I have an incredible stat that might need to be tweeted out from
1: the Florida Basketballer account. Um, so with with the powers of Bart Torvik, one of our favorite websites. Um, so I, well, I guess I should back it up. So as people probably know who listen to this, so like if you go to like Ken Palm right now, there's still like the preseason projections that are kind of baked in and that's the same as 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 uh, Bartorvic as well like they're they have their preseason predictions and then as results come in of the actual season it gets kind of like blended in and then by like january it's just the real the real uh, the real numbers and no more of the preseason predictions baked in However, with Bart Torvik, you can change the parameters and say just like what our teams ranked based off their performances this season. So you completely take out the preseason rankings and just say like, okay, based exactly exclusively on results of this season, where our teams ranked in Bart Torvik, Florida State is 303rd. If you just look at their pure performance this season, they're the 303rd ranked team in the country. Again, do you really believe that that is that is florida or florida state um that they're the 330 303rd best team in the in the country with these injuries i i might not go that far but if you want like uh like that that's what a 303rd team in the country does is 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 lose at home to troy and lose at home to stetson like that's that's what the Gators are, are, are dealing with here. And you've got to think from a recruiting standpoint, if, if Leonard Hamilton was able to get the win against the Gators, we, he could go up to these recruits in the state of Florida and be like, man, we had the worst, like ever, We like we suck and like, and we beat the Gators. Like, you know, that's, that's what I would be doing if I were to, you know, if I won a game on Friday. So it's, it's funny. It's, it's a lot of in, intangibles and uh, kind of at, at stake there. This kind of not even bragging rights. Just like, well, I guess whatever the opposite of bragging rights are that you want to avoid, but um uh, if if we look right now, um, I forget what they are, so I will look again quickly. So like, yeah, Florida State again with the preseason rankings baked into Ken Palm are currently 106th. And I think when you look at like Neil was saying, the damage that's already been done, the fact that they aren't getting these guys back for a little while longer, um, this could end up being like a, a Florida State team that's you know unfortunately in the hundreds of of the net and Ken Palm, and uh, is is certainly you know you go on the road, it's not going to be a an awful loss by any means, but. Not a great loss if the, if the Gators were to lose this. So it's it, coming off uh, a, a, a bad loss already to Florida Atlantic. Uh, it's uh, you don't want to see these pile up in, in non-conference play.
0: No, you don't. And, and, you know, they don't like the fact that they only have the one big, it should be enough for Florida, honestly. Um, You know, with Colin Castleton and CJ Felder, it's going to be a good game for the Gators to play their true four man and their five man together and just see if they can sort of Florida state for lack of a better word the Seminoles on the glass and just overwhelm them um on the offensive glass. What they don't want to do is do what happened is they don't want what happened against FAU to happen. I can't speak all of a sudden Eric um you know you can't let guys like Matthew Cleveland and Jalen Morley who aren't well, certainly Matthew Cleveland is not a very good shooter. Uh, but I mean, he is six, eight and 200 and whatever, 20 pounds. And when he gets going downhill, it's like a freight train. And just don't let him get in the paint like you were doing against FAU, because he will not miss the bunnies that Florida Atlantic missed. And if he gets going and then they get a little confident and hang around that building, which will be sold out, um, will be behind them. and And who knows?
1: I think that uh, that's a good point about like allowing dribble penetration, uh, penetration where the Gators have had struggles with smaller, speedy guards. It's like now they're going to do something that's like play some something that's like the complete opposite. Where it's like, yeah, Caleb Mills, who's six foot five and 190 pounds at point guard. You know, Darren Green, kind of same build. (laughs) Jalen Warley, six foot six, you know, 200 pounds. Like these are all like big physical guards. So now I'm like, well, wings that are going to be playing the guard positions as in they're going to be matched up with the Kyle Loftins and, uh, <laughs> right. and my, and I guess Myron Jones is of the world if that's still Ooh. going to be the 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 next guard off the bench here. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how the Gators kind of handle that. Like from a, Hey, they let really quick player guys just burn them on the perimeter. Can like slower, more physical guys get by them on the perimeter. Um, or will Kyle Lofton be, you know, disruptive enough with his hands to kind of deter these taller players with higher dribbles and, uh, from being able to, to get downhill. Like that's going to be the thing. And, uh, it's going to create like interesting matchups all around. Like this is one of those ones where like, again, I'm not trying to just say insert Niles lane to everything, but when everyone on Florida state is, is six foot five or, or bigger, um, does that kind of, do you like the matchup with, with, a with a Niles lane a little bit more than a Myron Jones? We just talked about, well, you know, is, uh, did we want more Trey bottom? It's like, well, this could be maybe a tough one or it could be a really good one or like where he can just get anywhere he wants on the floor with his quickness. Like this is a very interesting matchup game. Um, it's, a, it's just so strange that it's a 303rd <laughs> ranked Bart Dorvick team. Um, that's also loaded with not loaded. That has a couple of guys I think are going to play in the NBA. Um, but uh, it's, it's one of those things where like, yeah, the Gators have to be the ones who, who take advantage of, the matchup battle and we know that Florida State has had so much success in recent years especially against the Gators but also against everyone else in college basketball denying one pass away keeping that ball on one side of the floor and when they had 10 guys to play or 11 or 12 they could they could do that they just had so much energy to deny ball reversal and make it so hard to run offense that's kind of been one of the problems for them is they haven't been able to keep up that defensive intensity so uh you know what do the Gators do with that that'll be uh that'll be the big question
0: Yeah, great stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I think Niles Lane makes you a little more comfortable on like Matthew Cleveland dribble penetration than Myron Jones does, that's for sure. Um, because I mean Cleveland is six seven, six eight, or whatever he is. He's a big dude. Um, you know, former five star athlete. Niles was plus five against FSU in just three minutes last year. Um, and then didn't see the floor for a while after that win. So that was curious. Uh, you know, that's certainly a strategy. Anthony Derugi was Florida's star in last year's game, uh, plus 19, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, and uh, just you know, another example of how, like, when you play FSU, you better have like a freakish athlete on the floor at all times. Um, that monster game from, from Ant kind of speaks to that. Everybody remembers the like string of Colin Castleton baskets in the second half, I think, that helped Florida take over the game, but it was really you know, a big effort from Daruji that helped Florida win. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just how Florida matches up. Obviously with the injuries, FSU looks a lot different than they did last year, but then again, last year was Ham's first, you know, losing season in a really long time. So, um, you know, always a challenge to go to the Tuck Gators haven't won up there in a decade. Uh, so good, good chance for Todd Golden to just kind of in that, A bit of agony that seems to have followed the Jacob Kurtz own goal basket uh, from several years ago that started FSU's run against Florida.
1: Yeah, that's so crazy to look at it. I mean, I tweeted it out before the last uh, for the game last year and and a bunch of Gator fans were like mad at me for bringing that evil into the world before before the matchup hey maybe the gators exercise those demons <laughs> with a win but uh it's interesting too i mean we had really high hopes after that win. we thought florida state was like a top 25 team at the time and and for the gators to win convincingly we thought that florida state was good and we thought that that meant florida was really good and, and unfortunately both those things didn't end up to be true so now it's a situation where we think that the gator the seminoles are kind of terrible like again not not I, I don't think they're terrible. The current iteration of, of, of the Seminoles is, is not very good due to some very poor luck. Um, so it's, it's, it's just very different where kind of going in like this is for the entire history of the show, we've been terrified for this game. And now we're terrified for a different reason because it's a game. The Gators just cannot afford to lose. But, uh, as much as I was, you know, down on the performance against Florida state and a little bit down about how they played against Kennesaw state, um, man is it is it is it wrong to have some some confidence here or are you just uh are you just purely terrified going into a game that you just like can't lose what's it what's your where's your head at
0: no, i mean i just think florida's gonna be too much for this iteration of fsu um on the inside and and i really trust like jonathan sapphire and todd to kind of get together and and just look at where like analytically they have big advantages too you know and i think this isn't necessarily an FSU team that they have to run off the three-point line. Um, although FSU takes a lot of threes, they don't make a lot of threes. So you can kind of adjust that way. And like I said, stop, stop your dri- dribble penetration. Don't give up easy twos that keep the crowd in the game. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for Florida. If FSU is going to go out and shoot 13 to 24, like FAU from deep, then tip your hat. But um, I, I don't see that happening. So yeah, I'm. I'm uh, surprisingly confident, and I think from a confidence perspective, forget resume, forget everything. Like, just go beat your rival on the road, and kind of take that with you into Portland. I think a number that we will like
1: probably never say ever again is 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 right now that Florida State is 350th in the country in defensive rebounding percentage. Um, like, so a couple spots off the worst in the country. I just like that. That'll probably. We will probably never see that ever again. I, I, I mean, unless actually the Gators should make that number even worse, really, because con Castan should have many offensive rebounds. CJ Felder should have many offensive rebounds. Um, there's a, that, that That's a situation where like, yeah, the Gators should have an advantage. It still is funny to see like, I shouldn't say funny, but uh, as much as Florida State like, is only playing six guys, they're still looking to push. They're still looking to play really fast, which has been kind of a key, a key way that they have played and they haven't gone away from it. I almost wonder if like that's the problem with like that that's how you lose to Stetson and 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 Troy is because yeah. they haven't been like okay we're down to like functionally six dudes and we don't have a point guard let's like slow things down <laughs> and like play some smash mouth you know basketball um they've still tried to play really fast and I think that that's been a little bit of a, of a problem for them so um you know they have played fast the Gators are coming off a game where their transition defense wasn't very good but uh this will also be an opportunity to uh, to show that it's it's improved with a team without really that many true ball handlers that's still trying to play fast yeah the Gators should should hopefully t- kind of tighten things up but um it's also worth noting that like yeah they're they're not trying to they're not trying to slow the game down um despite only having six players so it's just going to be kind of like a kind of a baffling game kind of all around i think it's going to be a it's going to be a strange florida state team to see
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, Yeah, Leonard Hamilton is going to Leonard Hamilton, man. (laughs) They're just not, you know. I honestly think there's like two types of coaches, and I've said this before. There's like your pragmatist, right? And then there's your ideologue. (laughs) And Leonard is an ideologue, like Greg Bearhalter, the U.S. men's national team coach, ideologue. Whereas Canada's national team coach, pragmatist. And so, like, you know, like, sometimes – it's good to be like one or the other, but yeah, like, like his buddy, Mark few, uh, although probably a better driver, Leonard Hamilton is (laughs) Leonard Hamilton is an ideologue. So on that note, uh, thank you guys for joining us. It's been a fun show and I'll let Eric send us home. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.